The title of my message, I think, I said active. Is active, active, yep, I think it's active. Not like active wear. There's a song on YouTube, my, I went to the office in my active wear. I went to the shop, spar, in my act. Have you seen, seen girls? They don't gym, they just walk around in their active wear. They look like they gym. That's a lot like Christians. Oh, that happened fast. I was trying to start slow. <laughs> Out of the gates. I heard someone say that the church of Jesus Christ should not be passive because we don't have a passive enemy. The devil is actively trying to destroy you. And it's not so much you, it is not you that he hates, it's what you represent that he hates. You're made in the image of God and because he cannot touch God, he has to destroy you. Because he taints the image of God when he takes you out. It's when he, people see you fallen, it bodes bad for God and his image. The devil is after you and he is actively trying to take you out and he is a master in working his devices. The Bible says we are not unfamiliar with the devices of the devil. It is, and, and you would hear me very seldomly preach on demons, very seldomly, maybe mention a couple of things here or there, but very seldomly. I don't know that I've, I, maybe once in a couple of years that I would talk about demons. I don't want to give him credit, but it's also very stupid to not know your enemy. It's not very smart to not know that your enemy is trying to take you out and that, that the processes that he uses is to, not, to, to think yourself so clever, not be privy to his ways. That's why nations around the world has invested so much money in having spy agencies, so that they can understand the moves of their enemies. That's why we as parents have, uh, we every now and then have to grab our children's phones and check what they're doing on their phones because we need to know what is happening in their world. In the same way, you need to be aware that the devil is actively trying to take you out. We're also living in a culture that is actively trying to indoctrinate you. We are not, with, the, with what is happening around the world, you cannot be blind to the fact that the, the world is, 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 is not passive in its pursuit to confuse you. What we have is a church in the center of it that is not actively presenting a response because somehow the devil has convinced the church that if you respond, you're not acting in love because love makes you be timid. Although we won't admit to be timid, we respond timidly because if we don't, we come across as aggressive. And aren't you a Christian? Because we have sort of made it Anger, the antithesis of Christianity, you cannot be angry at anything. While the Bible doesn't say that, we say that anger is, 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 is the Bible says, be angry, but do not sin. And in, in 
fearing so much that we'll cross the line, we've become so timid in our response to the world. What we do is we cower in our houses and around tables. We'll sit in a restaurant and we call that being radical to still pray for food. And even that makes us be timid because we don't boldly pray anymore for our food. We pray with our eyes open so as to not offend the table next door. Because our Christianity has been pushed into a corner where we're just the place where you would expect love. It is under this false pretense of love that we hoist banners in acceptance of every way of life. When we preach this way, we're accused that we are works-based. We're accused that now you have to earn. What, what gets me is that if works doesn't qualify you, why does works disqualify you? Let me say that slowly so that you hear me. My behavior doesn't qualify me to be used of God, but when I misbehave, I'm disqualified to be used of God. It's like saying when we do a great job as a church and we, do, we build this building, it's God, it's all God, it's not the pastor, but when it crashes, it's not God, it's the pastor. I'm confused. So when it's bad, it's me. When it's good, it's God. No, it's all God and underneath God uses people. God uses people. So, so the reason I'm, I'm moving in this direction is because we have to question how passive are we in our faith and the expression of our faith. I started off in the announcements already telling you that we need to get involved in the political arena. You can see the influence of various other religions in our political system as it's manifesting in the legislation and the decision that is decisions that is being made that is affecting you. If you're a young person and you can do metric maths, you can pay attention to what I'm saying now because this is your world. And we've come to a place where we expect too little of young people. We expect them to be stupid, play games and just go out and get drunk. The church is not going to bring its message down. We're going to pick you up to the level that you need to function in. So pay attention. In the political arena, we have various other religions making an impression on our president and our political systems and exerting force and doing so also with the financial systems of our world. But Christians has not only become timid in their response, wanting to have the banner of love. So we are tolerant of everything because we'd rather tolerate than say what we do and offend. In the same way, in the same way, we also don't want to um, exert influence financially because being rich, somehow the devil has convinced the church you're also evil. And so we want to do everything through the church by virtue of faith, but never money. Pay attention now and don't misquote me. Hear me now. Faith is the substance of the thing not seen. But when do we get to the thing not seen? Let me say that slowly so you missed it. Faith is the substance of the thing not seen, the evidence. What is it? The evidence of the things hoped for. Is the substance of the things not yet seen. It's the substance of the things not yet seen, the evidence of the things hoped for. So faith is the bridge between the materialization of what you hope for. But when do we get to the place what we hope for? So we have faith for God to provide, but when do we get to the provision? Because most only stay on the bridge of faith. If I have faith to get healed, when do I get to healing? 
Because when healing manifests, I don't need the faith anymore, the healing came. The faith leads me to the result. And so we don't think that finances is the end result of what we hope for. We don't want to use it as a resource because the church has been convinced that it is false. And so other religions are building all infrastructures with the intense purpose of moving a generation and succeeding because they're actively engaging all that they have. And we have Christians who are very passionate about their God, but that passion, because they are hidden in a corner, is positioned inwards towards the body and not outwards to where the problem is. In an inward perspective, not knowing that we are silently cowards, we attack brothers rather than the enemy. In the church, we have friendly fire because we confuse what the enemy looks like. We, we, we judge people's doctrine, but, but we don't employ the doctrine as a sword to stand for the church. And when I say the church, I'm not confused with words because Jesus says, I am building my church. Jesus is for his church. The church is called his bride. And just so that the, the last few people that don't get this yet, you are not the church. You are part of the church. You are not the church. Three people in McDonald's talking about Jesus is not the church. When you have a Bible study at your house, you are not having house church. Let me say this slowly. You, you don't have house church when you have Bible study at your house. You have family Bible study. Have I said anything yet? I'm trying. We have to ask ourselves, are we actively being the embassy of God on the earth? Are we actively being the ambassadors of heaven on the earth? You are not in heaven waiting for time to go by so that you can go sing good byes and byes and onto heaven we go. What's that song? We're, we're not waiting patiently for God to come and get us and we, we don't have an escapee mentality. Trying to escape the systems that God had put us in. He says you are in the world but you're not of the world. We are not waiting for Jesus to come pluck you up and meet him in the sky and fly away on angels' wings. We are expecting that there is a coming of our Lord. And if, if it talks about the 10 virgins who are ready for the reception of the bridegroom, we should be ready and expecting that he is coming. But let him, when he comes, not find us being passive, hiding in our houses, because the, the, the parable of the talents comes into play. What did you do? I was waiting. But when the bridegroom comes, let him find us not being passive. Let him find us being active in our pursuit of what he did. Let us to the last second fight for every soul that still needs to hear the gospel. Let us be a people that are out there fighting for what God called us to do. He said, go and make disciples. And that command has not stopped. We need to find out how do we actively have our faith being exercised in the world around us. So your faith can be active or passive. What happened? Your faith can be active or passive. It says in Matthew 11 verses 12, and from the days of John the Baptist, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. 
What we don't see, that is, that is an active participation for the benefit of what God has for us. But what we see is a passive sitting back and waiting for God to bring it to us as if he is the server. Too many Christians stay at their problem. The story of the pool of Bethesda is not relevant if you're 20. I, I think that the, the story of the pool of Bethesda is not as relevant. It's obviously relevant, don't correct me. But it's not as relevant as it is for somebody that has been on this journey for 20 years or 30 years. Because it is not after 20 or 30 years that you look back and realize that I've been sitting next to this pool for 20 years. And the issue is still the same. And Jesus says to you, why? We, we, he had paralysis. He could not get into the pool. He was waiting for someone to get him in. That is passive faith. He believes that healing is in the pool, but he is passively waiting for someone else to exercise their faith for his healing. It is a passive faith. Not, how many, we, we don't, we climb into that story, but we don't see our own paralysis. 10 or 20 or 30 years down the line, we don't see our own paralysis because the, the story talks about that person being lame and could not get into the pool of Bethesda. He can't get in, he is lame. So you look at yourself, he says, I'm very mobile, my life is working. And you don't realize that you have a paralysis in whatever area of your life. And many Christians drag it along for 10, 20 or 30 years. And we read the story, preach to others about it, where we deny ourselves the, 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 the principle of the story that we drag things along because our, our faith is not actively engaged to bring a change to where there needs to be a change in our lives. What are you dragging along that you, you say and you confess that you believe that Jesus can do a miracle for you, but you just don't expect it? We shoot like a shotgun into heaven, our expectation. We ask many things and hope that two or three stick. Paul says, I don't fight. And I don't box like shadow boxing. When I strike, I, I mean to hit. But we pray expecting to not have an answer. Hopefully one or two things will fall in, in favor of us. We often pray, but never expect that God would because we are not qualified. We, de we deny ourselves the miracle and we step back into passive faith because active faith requires something of us. We need to have active faith to believe that every word, not some words, is yes and amen. Because if we believe that he is not a genie in the bottle that gives you three wishes and you have every month you've got like one prayer that Jesus will answer because he's quite busy working through the emails. He is your God. He is able to hear every prayer. And we need to get to a place where we engage ourselves in our faith and our Christianity that it begins to affect our world, not just inside this room, but outside this room. We need to get to a place where we're not waiting for someone to rescue us. The rescuer has already come. His name is Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the Lord. And he paid every 
part of the price that needed to be paid was paid in full in Calvary. The rescuer is not coming. He has already come and the helper of the Holy Spirit has already been sent and poured out in the church. You have the Holy Spirit. He is your companion. He is the paraclete, the one called alongside. He is walking this journey out with you. And when you get he is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah, not the, the Lamb. The Lamb has already come in Calvary. The Lamb part of God has been done. The Lamb was already sacrificed. His second coming is the Lion out of the tribe of Judah. The Lamb came to purchase for you the empowerment of the Holy Spirit so that you can be active in the kingdom. The kingdom of God suffers violent and the violent take it by force. Will you be pushed out of the way in your passivity towards the goal that God has set before you? Or are you going to lay a hold of the promises that God had given you? Which is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. The problem with potential is that most Christians only remain in it for the rest of their lives. I don't want to be told, oh, you're so, so, you have so much potential. In my 10, uh, 10 years to 20 years, teenage years, that's great when they compliment my potential. But in my 30s and my 40s, I want the potentials to materialize in manifestation. I want these talents to translate in the, the Master, the Father, God my Lord, saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in the little. I will appoint you over the much. Somewhere along the line, my potential has to make the transition, but it will never happen in passive Christianity. Your potential will never produce life if you remain just passive. If you're just sitting back waiting for someone else to do it. Your prayer life will not fix itself when the Holy Spirit... What do we think? Do you think He has fairy dust? Jesus, help me pray. Do you think he sprinkles fairy dust over you and then oh, now I can pray? And then you pray for a week and then you forget. No, that is you actively telling your flesh to shut up, scheduling your prayer life like you schedule your gym sessions. We need to get to a place where we schedule prayer time with Jesus. It's nice. I was one of the proponents of saying this. I pray always. No, it's a, an excuse to not pray. It's an excuse to be lazy. You need to, to actively begin to change it. Jesus is not gonna, Jesus is not gonna put the want on you. How many of you want to be married to a woman that has to be married to you? This is not India. This is South Africa. Nobody wants to be married to someone that doesn't want you. That's why Jesus, God put choice in the garden. One of the reasons God put choice in the garden is because without choice, Adam and Eve wasn't his children by choice. That's why I have a problem with Calvinism. Irresistible grace. I'm not predestined to choose God. I choose God free willingly. Grace is extended to everyone that wants to take it. He wants everyone to take it. He doesn't predestine some to go to hell and some to go because that denies him being fair. And I want to be able to choose to, to accept this free gift of salvation that Jesus has to me, given to us. The same as having, why would I ask my wife to marry me if she is forced to? Does that make sense? The kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. John lost his head. 
because the kingdom suffers violence. It is this violence that makes us pull back and then we collect in our biases scriptures that makes us feel comfortable. We love everybody. No, we don't love everybody. We, we love the person, we hate the sinner, but that still doesn't get you to heaven. We can, we can make stupid statements like this, say, Jesus loves the sinner but hates the sin. But it's the sin that keeps you out of heaven. Because the ultimate goal of sin is to cause death. And death in this life is not really death. It's to be cut off from God is real death. For eternity separated from God, that's death. That is a death that is final and cannot be changed. It says in Matthew 24 verses 9, this is the reason, this is the reason we are so passive in our faith, is because of being, being active. Jesus is God, right? Jesus is God come in the flesh. It's very confusing for us. How can he be God and man at the same time? It's because he can willingly choose to be, because he says, do you not think I can at this moment call a legion of angels to pull me off this cross? So he yields to his, in his obedience to the, the will of the Father to not use his divinity to get off the cross. Because he could be divine but disobedient. And then the price of the cross would be voided because of sin. And see, even in his divinity had to be obedient. And he made his divinity subject to his obedience to the Father. We don't want to go too deep now. But he is still God. Uh, what was I reading? What does this verse say? Uh, Why I'm saying this. So even Jesus, he is 30 years old. And in three years, Jesus changes the whole world. He's about in ministry for about three, three and a half years. Jesus messes everything up in three and a half years. He just, he confuses everything and everyone. He is the, the perfect presentation of what a Christian should be. He is the, 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 what is the right word? He is the figure that we imitate in our Christianity. And in three years, he is offensive to not only outsiders. He is not, he was actually, he was, he was quite offensive to everyone. He was offensive to religious Jews. He was offensive to outsiders. He was offensive to his own disciples. His own disciple, he turns around and says, Satan, imagine me and Pastor Louis sitting around the coffee table. We're having a cup of tea, like we do. And I just turn around and look at him and hey, Satan. Jesus was quite offensive. Jesus, I imagine, somebody said this. He said, Jesus won't be invited to mega churches uh, if there's a church growth conference, he wouldn't be the main speaker. Because Jesus, often when he spoke, people left. There were, there were recorded events in the Bible when Jesus spoke. They couldn't handle what he said and they left. They couldn't handle what Jesus said. What he said was offensive to them. What, were they right? They felt right. But in their hearing of the word, it was offensive to their perspective. It was offensive to their current, current mentality, their ideas, their perceptions, their, their way of thinking. 
They couldn't handle what he was saying and they left. Jesus, when he spoke many times, people left. Yet we want to be inclusive. We don't want to say anything that will make anyone left leave. We don't want people to leave. We want them to stay. And so we, we trim the word to not be offensive so that those who are in would just stay in. The goal is not a full church. The goal is not, a, although we are accused of it consistently, the goal is not a full church. The goal is disciples. The, you, where did I hear it yesterday? I heard that there are more uh, tigers in captivity in, in, in Texas than there are actual tigers left in the wild. Why am I saying that? I don't have any clue. But, but it's like people trying to tame a fox or tame a, 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 a hyena. You can't do that. So we, we have disciples in the church, but we are willing for the perspective of being or looking successful. We want wolves to stay as well. And we won't say anything to offend the wolves because a true disciple can't be offended. Shouldn't be offended. You're supposed to be dead. It's very difficult to offend a corpse. But the fact that you're offended tells me you're too alive for Jesus to help. I woke up calm. I was just calm. I had breakfast. I did nothing wrong. And so in our pursuit of God, one of the things the devil has been successful, this is what I want to say. Jesus in three years turned everything upside down. He went three years flat out and turned the world upside down. We want to spread that over an entire lifetime because we want to do it so slow that no one notices. We don't want to draw attention to the church because the offense that the world will take will cause them to come at us guns blazing. But you have to know this, that when you begin to activate your faith, you cannot activate your faith. You cannot be active in your Christianity and not draw attention. You cannot have an active Christianity and not draw attention. How many of you have had family members be upset with your Christianity? Because you will not have that if you have a passive faith. A passive faith sits around the table, laughs at the dirty jokes that the family tells because you don't want to offend them. They are good with your passive faith, but the moment you stand up and stand for something, your, your active faith begins to draw criticism and rejection. And it is these things that pushes us back into passive passivity. And so many of us remain passive in our expression of God. Because we can't handle the response that we garner out of people when we begin to, to stand up for what we say. We've had too many Christians to tell me, the moment I, I try, the moment, the moment I try, it's like all hell breaks loose. Have you heard people say that? Have you had that experience? Let's talk about tithe. You tithe, the month you tithe is the month you needed the tithe the most. Do you think that's a coincidence? Coincidence? The moment you begin to tithe is the moment that, you're, that you begin to draw fiery arrows from the enemy. The reason is because he is not offended by your passivity. He is not threatened by your passivity. Your, your passivity will move nothing. And that's exactly where he wants you to be. You know how many marriages are dying because of passive husbands and wives? You'll wait and see. 
Well, wait and see. Everything that waits and see deteriorates. Your nails, if you wait and see, they'll grow too long and he'll see that it becomes too long. You have to cut it. You have to engage. You, you, can't, have, you, you can't have anything successful that you don't actively participate in. No marriage works without active participation by both, both people. It takes two people to get pregnant. For nine months, I suffer. It takes two people to pay the price. And I know that women suffer for nine months, but the, the father pays until the children leaves one day. I think I'm going to have an employee meeting soon and I'll tell them that you're not working for me, you're working for my children. Because <laughs> finally they all get it. <laughs> Just smile and wave, be happy. It says in Matthew 24, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. First Peter 5, 8 to 9 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around about like a roaring lion. Be sober, be sober, be vigilant. Be sober and be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, sits around. No, he doesn't sit around because he's not passive. walks around. He is intentionally seeking. When, when you don't turn your back on a lion because he'll kill you. He's walking around looking for those who are not sober and vigilant. You, you, you shouldn't be walking through a, a big five reserve playing on your phone. You'll die. All they'll find is your two hands holding your phone. <laughs> he says, be sober and vigilant. You walk around looking like at this, paying attention to your surroundings because you're paying attention on all sides because you're watching the footprints where this animal has been. And if you find a big claw footprint this big, don't climb a tree. It's too late. You're dead. If it's fresh and if the footprint's fresh, you know he's around, you begin to walk more slowly and you pay attention. This is not how we do Christianity. You know why you don't have to? And me too, because I'm pointing finger at you and that's rude. Because he is walking around looking for you. You know why we're not vigilant? Because we're passive. We're no threat. We're not even in the big five game reserve. We're at home reclining on a table at our chairs, sitting and watching Facebook. The devil goes like, he's not coming after you because that will be a demotion for him. But hey, the church is a soft target. Make comments about churches. Attack Christians. That's clever. John 16, says, these things I have spoken to you, that, that in me you may have peace, in me. In the world you will have tribulation. So if you're a Christian with tribulation and no peace because you are not in Christ, in me you will have peace, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So if you're in me, you're an overcomer. That's why it says, 
in me, in me, in me. I have overcome the world. If you're in me, you're an overcomer. Outside of me, you're nothing. I am the branch, you are the vine. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. But if you don't remain in me, you will be cut off and you will be thrown into the fire. In me, Christ Jesus is the overcomer, not you. In him, you are more than an overcomer. He has overcome the world. If you're not in him, you're in the world. You're, there is two spaces that you can be in, in the world or in him. If you're in the world, you will, have, you will face problems. You're going to have everything, but, everything thrown at you, but you won't have a covering. In Christ Jesus is where your peace is at. You have to make peace with the fact that when you engage your faith, you will draw attention. And when you do, you need to know how to step back into Christ. And then that's where faith is engaged. It says in 1 John chapter number 4, verse 4, You are of God. Little children, you are of God, little children, and have, over, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. But in our passivity, we pray, we pray in our timidity in a restaurant with our eyes open. We don't want to offend anyone. But we sort of should make it a point because when waiters comes along the table and they start dishing out food, we're so afraid to not offend them. They're not afraid to offend you. They hand the food over. We are in a hurry. The restaurant's full. We got to put the plate down. They don't care that you're praying. How is it that Christians got to a place? You should look up and say, Ak bet. Ak bet na Jesus too. I'm bet you extra long. Let them stand and say, if you say something, I'll pray for you too. And let him know you'll pray for 10 minutes. But that's not the, that's not the place where, it, where you're, you're just actively engaging. But the devil has succeeded to get us to be so timid in our walking out of our Christianity. First, Matthew 13, 20, 23 says, but he who received the seed this is the, the parable about the sower. But he who received the seed, the seed scattered, the seed on stony places, is he that hears the word, immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. When tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, he immediately stumbles. Put that verse up there. Read it slowly. Hear what it says. I read it too fast. But he who receives the seed on stony places, that is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. We have no issue. That's the word. I prayed that when we started. Let the word fall in our hearts because it is the word that is capable of transforming us. You have no cap. In my opinion, that's why many people preach. No one changes. It's not my words. It's not my perspective. It's, it's, it's by the grace of God, the anointing of God that comes. And with the word being preached, it's the working of the spirit. Here is the, uh, the word will cause you to dry up. This is the statement we have. Uh, the letter killeth is where that statement comes from. You need the Holy Spirit. Because with just the word, without the Holy Spirit, you'll dry up. But if the word is preached, the word has the capacity to change your life. That's why we worship first, because when you lift up your hands, you're surrendered. When we stand up like this is the universal sign of surrender. This is God, I have problems, but I surrender your Lord. God, I have issues, but I surrender your God. And when you do that, something happens in your heart. Your heart somehow becomes soft. Somehow the word can fall in. That's why we worship before we preach the word. So that when we properly worship, when you don't engage in worship, you'll receive nothing from the sermon. 
And when the seed falls, it's capable of changing your life. But what happens is the seed falls. You believe it. You go home. You talk to your parents or you, you talk to your children and they don't agree with your lifestyle, choosing to serve God, changing the way you tell jokes, changing the way you hang out on weekends, changing the way you pursue your marriage. And when you begin to do that and they begin to threaten you, begin to, to clap back at you with remarks and comments, you begin to change the word. And you try and find a middle way to please them and please the word. And what you've done is you've become passive. Another word for that is lukewarm. Be you but hot or cold. But now that you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. God can't deal with lukewarm Christians. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in him. He says, you are in the world, you'll have problems. But if you're in me, you'll have my peace. But you have to engage your faith to stand because without engaged faith, you will not stand. The Bible says, put on the full armor of God and when having stood, remain standing. See if you can find it in Ephesians, I think it's chapter number six, dealing with the armor of God. I'm looking for that verse that says, remain standing. Deuteronomy 28 says this, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. You don't do that without faith. You don't get that in a passive Christian's life. Your enemy will flee out. Your enemy is not people. Your enemy is demons and spirits that are working through people. But the devil is trying to take you out. The Bible says he will flee in seven different ways. It will come out against you, but your faith that is engaged says that I'm going to engage my faith. This is what I'm pursuing for God. This is what I'll do for my king. And when I begin to work and function this way, although they come at me, they will not touch me. That's why we pray and say, God, hide me underneath the wings of my God. You are hidden in Christ. And even though they come out against you by faith, you stand tall. Ephesians says this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For do we not wrestle against the flesh and blood, but against principalities that go on heavenly places? Therefore, take the whole armor that you may be able to withstand the evil. And having done all, stand. It tells you to stand. And when you've done all, remain standing. It says stand twice. You stand and you do all. And then after it's done, you still stand. There's this verse in the Bible that says, you who put on the armor, do not boast like the one who has taken it off. Find that verse for me. Don't be as clever to say that I've put on the, uh, while you're putting on the armor of God, we have too many people that are so proud and arrogant in their faith that I'm going to do this and do this. You should be humble, hiding in God and saying that God, I want to punch and I want to punch accurately. But he says, so the king of Israel answered and said to him, tell him, let not the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. It doesn't help pretending that you stand after having done all, remain standing. The testimony is complete when you come to the end of your life and God says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. The testimony is when they put on your gravestone, child of God. Not like he started good, he didn't end so well. At least he tried. That's where we want to be. We want to be the ones that takes off our armor at the end of our lives and say, God, I've given it my all. I've stood tall. I've contributed to humanity and to the kingdom of God. I've put everything on the table. God, my faith was activated. 
Zechariah says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. God is the spirit of wisdom. The spirit of might and strength, but the spirit of wisdom. He is the spirit of wisdom. You don't need the wisdom of God if you're not actively engaging anything that needs wisdom. You won't find the need for wisdom in passive Christianity. When you're merely sitting back at your house waiting for God to do something, you'll find yourself like next to the pool of Bethesda. 30 years later, nothing moved. When you are actively, when we go to the gym and you do the exercise wrong with wrong posture, you're not activating the right muscle group. You have to activate it to exercise it. I want to say to you the same thing. When you're not activating the right faith, for the right season, you're not actively activating your faith to say, this is my intention. That's why when, I, when we do an offering and you take by, by virtue of repetitious behavior, that's religion, false religion. You just do something because you do something. You take something out and you throw it into the offering basket, but you're not intentional about your seed. You won't have a result. When you don't consciously consider how you're doing life, you're doing it just by, by mere momentum. I don't want momentum in my marriage. I want love to be the central posture in which we have a marriage. Chanel is right because I spoke very often about the subject of love and I said, love is a decision. But I don't want Chanel just to have to every day make this decision to love me. I want her to love me from the heart. And it becomes a natural motivation when that's central to your heart. I'll, I'll, I'm almost there. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 to 22, he says, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you. You can read this with me. It's in the Bible. This is not made up spooky stories. This is about you. You're not, you're not passive when, not, when you're not a part of. You, you are passive and not active when you're not a part of what God is doing. And we urge you, urge is a strong word. Brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. You can go and do some research about the word admonish you and over you. I told you my pastor, I have a pastor. I have many pastors, but I have a specific pastor who I'm accountable to speak to weekly, give him updates, ask for advice. I report to my pastor because I have oversight. If you have no one that you can call your pastor, he is not your pastor if you cannot submit. If he doesn't exhort and admonish you, you have no pastor, you have no oversight. Put that verse back up there. I urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you. In other words, you don't have a YouTube pastor that sits in America. You have a pastor that you know, that you can point to, that has the right to call you out on stupidity. We're not here to be friends. We're here to be, build the kingdom. We are more, friends and brothers are different. My brother can say things to me that friends can't. We're brothers, not friends. Recognize those who labor among you and are over you. Some people can't have people over them. They're too loud and too proud, too big, too smart. Who's your pastor? Well, hopefully it's me. I'm your pastor. You're my church. I'm the pastor. It's not my church, it's our church, but I'm the pastor of this church. And are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Next verse. And to esteem them very highly in love and be at peace among yourselves. 
Now we exhort you. Exhort is a stronger word. Word. The word of the Lord. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Warn those. The word exhort there has the meaning of confront. Christianity is, without, is not without confrontation. Christianity, people don't like, people may say, I don't like uh, to be confronting. I don't like to engage. I, I like just peace. It's just Columbia. I call Columbia's. Los me, I call Columbia's. It's from all the Columbia's that those land is where it is. It's from all the Columbia's that most people sky. It's from all the Columbia's that the kids on drugs is. It's from course you say Calum. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Warn those. Confront those. The word unruly is translated from another word that, that can have two or three meanings. Some translations has put in the word idle. Idle has the meaning of lazy. This whole context of this scripture here talks to being passive. Confront those who are passive. This is what it says there. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are idle. Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Faint-hearted is timid. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. It's not saying push them out of the church, but confront them. Challenge them. Exhort them. God doesn't respond well, well to idleness. You can read the, the, the part about the talents again. If you have talents and it's not engaged, if you have talents and it's not actively used, God has a problem with that, you'll lose it soon. And losing it doesn't mean when you can sing, you stop singing. It means that you'll grow too old to be useful in singing. He says... Exhort, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue that is good, both for yourself and for all. Rejoice, always pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Do not despise prophecies, is in Thessalonians. Thessalonians. Do not despise prophecies. Ja, ma, dat dit opgehou. Taste all things. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. The word admonishes confront. As a Christian, you need to confront certain things. I'm going to stop there. Is our faith active? If you're sick, start believing that God can bring healing into your life. If you're sick, start believing that God can bring healing into your life. It is the truth. Jesus healed. He healed many, many, many people. He says to the disciples the same thing. Pray for those that are sick. Their sins would even be forgiven. He would heal. Jesus would heal. It's a promise. It's, it's maybe your turn to not wait for the pastor to have faith for healing. Maybe it's your turn to confront your own passivity in that area of your life and believe God for healing. Is your marriage falling apart? Maybe you need to raise your voice, not to your wife, but to the devil. Maybe your frustration shouldn't be to your husband, but to the devil. Begin to raise your voice and not be so passive in your marriage, waiting to see, but actively engaging towards a common goal. Passivity robs you from clarity in vision. 
You can't see where you're going because you're too passive now to be able to see. Your passivity has robbed you of momentum to move you towards the prize. You cannot see it because you have no momentum, no momentum to get there. You can't have clarity in your vision if you remain passive in your Christianity. How do you activate that? You begin to pray. The hear this. The fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. Not the timid prayer. Ach, Yera. See, my dog. Verimpi. Verimpi. Vibrat. Verimpi. If it's your will, if it's your will, Jesus, would you just help me? That's not, that's not like a lion. You are a child of God. His word is full of promises. They are all yes and amen. He has paid for you the full price. Lay a hold of what God has set before you. Take your potential, turn it into a story. Be a witness. Let's turn the world upside down. If Jesus could do it in three years, imagine what we can do for, full of a room of believers that has Jesus as the anchor of the soul, the master of our ships, the Holy Spirit, the wind in our sails, to see the world, this boat, on it. Let us see what he can do in our generation. Let's pray. Father, I pray. <clears throat> Father, I read very seldomly in the Bible about critics. I don't see any critic have great stories, but I see broken and failed men who has flaws being used mightily because they dared to believe. I see flawed men, men who have issues. Abraham who lied about his wife called her a sister. Samson who had the harlot. Gideon, who was a coward. David, who was a womanizer. Flawed men. They dared to believe. They dared to say, God, here I am. And their footsteps testified of their conviction. I pray would you come in a room like this today, here and in Brooklyn and everywhere online. Would you take people like us and do a mighty thing do a mighty thing that our story would be not by might nor by strength but by the power of the Holy Spirit you are a good God we surrender to you all that we have all that we could be now come and lead us as you direct our every step in Jesus' name, amen and amen.